this week on the It's a Monkey podcast. I don't know about you, but I hate doing QuickBooks. <laughs> it's really frustrating for me. It's not something I enjoy doing. But if I hire someone to do my QuickBooks, they have to love doing QuickBooks as much as I love being an entrepreneur. Those are the type of people we're looking for. People who are not just in it for the paycheck. They're passionate about whatever it is they do, whether it's graphic design or writing or Amazon, whatever it is. Good morning, good evening, hello wherever you are in the world. My name is Kevin Garber. It is Thursday, the 23rd of November, 2017, nearly the end of 2017. How fast has that gone? Wow. You're listening to the It's a Monkey podcast. My name is Kevin Garber. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Manage Flitter. And as usual, I have my co-host, again, very happy to have her in the physical studio in Sydney, Australia, Kate Frappel, who's the design lead of Manage Flitter. Kate, thanks for joining us. No worries. It's good to be here again. As usual, we have a great show lined up for you. It's episode 110. If you missed our interview last week with Scott Smith from Cloud App, have a listen because we had a chat. Scott used to work at Facebook and we had a very interesting chat about life inside Facebook. So that's at episode 109, last week's episode. But today we've got a um, really fantastic episode planned for you. Before we get into the tech news, I'll tell you about the interview we have coming up later on in the show. I chatted with Nathan Hirsch, who's the founder and CEO of FreeUp. Also, he's also known as the remote hiring guy. FreeUp is a a platform for pre-qualified freelancers. And we had a fantastic chat about remote work and distributed teams, which is a, a theme because we are a distributed team. We have approximately half of our small team is in Sydney with the rest distributed around the world. And uh, I think there's huge benefits to a distributed team. So stick around for that. And as usual, you can email us at podcast at itsamonkey.com. You can tweet us at uh, monkey podcast so we love to hear from you and we love to uh, know what you like and what you don't like and even just to let us know where in the world you are and that you're out there so we look forward to hearing from you tech news we like to start off the podcast with a couple of tech news items because there is always so much going on in our world and i always these days have to stop myself from um, talking about bitcoin I think I drive everyone in the office mad about talking about Bitcoin. It's just so interesting. Um, it's just such a shift happening. Maybe I should, Kate, maybe I should do a Bitcoin podcast. Maybe. Maybe. And then when you come in the office and tell us that it hits an all-time high every second day, nobody will feel bad about not investing in it yet. Well, yes, there's, there's a, I've got a friend. Every time I text him about Bitcoin, he says, I've got FOMO every time I hear that word. So, yeah, but it's besides the price and, you know, people having, you know, lost out and the price rises, etc. And some people making a lot of money. That's I, that's actually not what I find most interesting about it. What I find most interesting about it is is this new digital gold, this new store of value that it's becoming. Eventually, the price is going to settle where that is. No one knows. But eventually it will settle and this crazy volatility will will go out and then um, it'll be really interesting to see what happens. But anyway, let's uh, let's get straight into the, the news items. Last episode, we spoke about emojis and we had a little discussion of who, def- who decides how to create an emoji and do platforms have similar emojis. And I see that iOS has updated its, its emoji set. Yeah, yeah. So there's a whole heap of new emojis that have gone through the Unicode Consortium, which is like the the gatekeepers of emojis. Yeah, and so just did a bit of reading after chatting about it last week. So six billion emojis are sent every day. This started off as a collection of 176 low-res 12 by 12 pixels in Japan. So initially an idea behind Japanese cell phone companies and they didn't have a standardized system. So American cell phone companies, when they came into the market, they thought, well, this is a little bit crazy, but these are super popular. So they decided to start putting individual codes on them. And Unicode are responsible for giving codes to all sorts of characters, so letters, numbers, any kind of glyphs. And they decided to add the same thing into emojis. At first they denied it and then by 2006 they took them on. 
And so, yeah, now these emojis can come out. Anyone can design them. I saw that. That's quite interesting. Yeah. Put them to, put them to Unicode and then four times a year they have like a, a meeting where you can do your pitch for five minutes um, after you've been sort of vetted. There is a first process as well. And then if they're happy with it and it's something that doesn't clash with other other emojis and it's an apparent, you know, a, a, and something that already exists and we have to prove that it's already popular like through hashtags or Google searches and stuff like that. So it can't be a fad, can't be a fidget spinner. And then, yeah, and then they, they mock up something and then it goes into the library and then Google and Facebook and Apple design their own versions of it. Right, okay. So, yeah. so there's a, a skeleton of the emoji in a way or a guideline and they put an implementation of that specific emoji. Yeah, yeah. So they have to try and be culturally aware to a certain extent. It's not perfect, but a good example is like the farmer, like a little picture of a farmer. If it was truly sort of American Gothic style, it might have a pitchfork. Uh-huh. Um, but that doesn't relate to, for example, Asian countries. So right. it might be better that they make the farmer hold, you know, a grain of wheat or, you know, some kind of plant more, or something more like that. Yeah. It's, yeah. a t- it's a difficult one, though, because you can't ever get away from culture. Culture always exists. So, um, yeah, it's, so it's, it sounds like it's like an open source type of process, right? Yeah. It's, um, and that's what's so fascinating about the internet. It's, it's built on all these different open source elements. So it's, it's interesting that emoji is as well. So what happens when I receive a text message from someone on an Apple and my Android just, just puts it as a nothing? That would mean that Google haven't got a, um, a design for that particular emoji. Right. So it's still part of the emoji library. Right. But I think they can pick and choose which ones they have designs for. Right. Interesting. Mm. Okay. And um, so they're always upgrading to the latest emoji sets, but they may leave some out for whatever reason or... Yeah. I, it could as well just depend on the speed of the process. So if the emoji committee say, you know, they meet four times a year, so they say... I call oh, that the emoji committee. Yeah. Well, the, right. They're called the Unicode Consortium. Right. They're basically in charge of, of passing emoji ideas. So the Unicode is actually, I think, more than emojis, right? It's a lot of the other characters as well. Yeah. 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 So that's the reason they sort of got the job is because they already had um, process in processes place. for all sorts of letters and numbers. Is ASCII art still a thing? Not sure what that is. You don't? <laughs> well, obviously not, <laughs> right? So ASCII characters are like in the early days of the internet before images and video, the, the net was all text. Text is essentially ASCII. It stands for American Standard Something Information Interchange. It's, it's an agreed upon set of characters. And because there were no images or videos, people would make art out of characters, right? Crazy art. They would do portraits and animals and all sorts of things. And it was a thing, ASCII art. So... Mm-hmm. Probably. I, I can imagine that's sort of like a, a more artistic spin on typography, but I've never heard it be called that. I remember in the late 90s, a friend sent me a happy birthday message with ASCII, like, like the, the H was all like H's and the, you know, in the shape of the H and the A is all the A's and, you know, and um, she... Oh, I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and she sent me this and she said, did you like my message? I said, oh, yeah, it was great. She said, I hope so. It took me ages, you know, because you can imagine every letter based on the letters and the spacing. And so, you know, that was the what the internet was was really built on in a way. But uh, now emojis, interesting. Yeah, interesting. So, um, Mm. And there's also an argument as well that, so for example, on Slack, you can create your own emojis but mm. they're not actually emojis they're just Gifts. little pictures yeah yeah you can see um, that yeah and you can add them into the library so some people sort of argue that you know because the committee only meet four times a year they're not moving fast enough so that maybe the cell phone companies and stuff should move towards this customized approach but then on the other hand you're losing that kind of universal language and yeah. understanding of what these things are could argue both ways because in a way if everyone creates their own set, it will be a bit Darwinian, right? Yeah. Android users will go, oh, we want the, I don't know, the surfing emoji too or, or something. It will be a little bit Darwinian but it will be a bit of a mess. Yeah, definitely. I think it's 
I mean, Slack sort of do it well, but they have the emoji library and then custom. And Slack's different. I mean, Slack's essentially a private network. It's a closed ecosystem. Yeah. You're all sitting in Slack, so you can all see. But as soon as you come down to sending text messages or emails or social media platforms at different devices, it's, it's a whole different thing. You know, but for closed mm-hmm. ecosystems, it makes sense. Well, now the mystery has been solved of um, of the world behind the emo- Hey, we should get someone from the emoji committee on. That would be so interesting. Yeah. If uh, any, if you're listening and you have any contacts to the emoji committee, it would be really interesting. I'm always fascinated by these processes, you know, whether it's Linux or Bitcoin, and you know these these self-organizing systems. Mm. You know, you know, the, the big festival that I go to, that's been going in Australia for over 40 years, Confest. It's a self-organizing system. There's a, there's just some very very bare bones of infrastructure, but then the actual sequence of events and the and the workshops are just just sort of plug into that framework and people organize them themselves it's sort of like the unconference idea Hmm. you know like bar camp and and it it works remarkably well you know it's a fine balance in terms of what you have to organize and it needs time to create the culture around that but once people are aware of how it works this crowdsourcing type of self-organizing system it's quite, it's quite remarkable and it really challenges the producer-consumer mindset. So even open source, if you think about it, it's not a producer-consumer mindset, right? Linux or Bitcoin, it's, it, there's no, you can't really go to anyone and complain about it, right? It's not like if you're unhappy with your hotel room and you, you go ch- chat to this. Um, so this festival that I go to has got such a distributed set of organizers that very difficult to know who to complain to or who you have an issue with. So that's what's so fascinating about the internet, that it is an open source environment. And there's a lot of people are worried about a lot of these very successful companies, Google, Facebook, Twitter, building these gated internet in a way. So a lot of people are saying, you know, you shouldn't build up Facebook fan pages because Facebook could just switch off your fan page for whatever reason one day. Whereas if you build up an email newsletter list, well, no one's going to ever be able to really prevent you from sending an email out to your subscribers. So interesting arguments that the internet was built on, you know, much more decentralized and non-commercial type of environment. So anyway, we digress from, from emojis. Second uh, news item, speaking of Facebook... Facebook have uh, are always doing something new. What, are they, uh, what have they released this time, Kate? So Facebook have basically rejigged their Mentions app. So Mentions used to be sort of a creator platform but only for people with verified pages. Now they've got Facebook Creator, which is sort of a big step towards Facebook's vision to become like a video platform and it allows all profiles and pages to do, you know, like – more insights, data, and just video tools so that they could go live. Um, so customized intros, outros, custom reactions. So people watching the videos can react in more ways than the six that they already provide. A unified inbox, so commenting from Facebook, Instagram, and Messenger all in one place. And the ability to post content straight to Facebook stories and cross-promote between Facebook and Instagram. So they're really building up this video platform for anyone that sort of wants to get their business out there, share ideas, or just even just share themselves on their profiles. So is this for everyone or still verified people only? Everyone. So it's a video platform for everyone to do live videos, recorded, anything? Live videos. Okay. So this is for the Facebook Live and an enhanced set of features, functionality around Facebook Live. Yeah, basically. And they've also got a, um, a section or well, a website actually, Facebook Creators website and it has like tips and shows you who's doing interesting things and how they're doing it and what, how they're using the tools basically. It's interesting. I mean, Facebook Live, it's going to become – I always think when these initiatives happen and obviously when Facebook Live came out, how much headspace do people have? You know, we're so saturated with content everywhere. Right? Mm. Are we, are we going to be able to sustain, you know, more and more content? I mean, it's it's obviously going to be very 
competitive to create good content. Mm. But now, you know, how many of these Facebook Lives are going to be a thing? Are we going to watch? I mean, do you, any of your friends do Facebook Lives? I've got a couple of friends that are more the author type, performer types that do it quite regularly as a thing. Mm. Not, not many, no. Like even at the moment I look at my Facebook, there's one one person that's done like a Facebook story. Right. She's like Snapchat style type thing. Um, but very, very rarely do I see live videos. Like it's not really a thing. Mm. But Facebook are also pulling back a little bit, which I think is wise of them. So they used to have Messenger, Messenger Day, which were like, again, stories, but for Messenger. And then they brought in Facebook stories as well and Instagram stories. So they're pulling Messenger Day and incorporating that with Facebook stories. So it's all the same thing, which I think is a good idea. And Instagram, they've actually put more features in, but the, like, I guess the latest one is a hashtag. You can follow hashtags now instead of just people. Mm-hmm. So you can find trending hashtag and f- choose to follow that. It's actually just in testing at the moment, but there's arguments that all these Facebook products are getting a little bit bloated mm. um, and they just sort of need to pull back a little bit, which I think I agree with. I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're always exploring new ways to find areas to shove ads into. Mm. And, well, uh, the interesting thing about Creator, this Creator platform, is they haven't actually incorporated a way to monetize it yet. So this it's sort of becoming a bit of a YouTube type thing mm. so people can create videos and you know, make tutorials and share things exactly like YouTube, but they don't have like subscriptions, tipping, revenue ads. The only option at the moment is you can post sponsored or branded content and label it with like a tagging feature, but that's it. Well, I think ultimately if they have a revenue sharing type situation, I think YouTube's got that Mm. where they'll share some of the ad revenue, right? Yeah, I think it's like 55% to 45%. Yeah, which so the is creator probably, gets 55. That's that's not I mean that's pretty fair. Yeah. I mean it's pretty fair if they're providing the platform and I can see Facebook doing that as well. I wonder if one day Facebook and Instagram are going to become one product. They might. I mean, apparently in 2014 Mark Zuckerberg is quoted as saying that Facebook will be mostly video in 5 years time. Yeah. And that well. was 2014. So Plus, they integrated a new, um, like a tab at the bottom of the app called Watch. And it's sort of the beginning of what you imagine would be episodes or series and stuff. So you could watch all these videos on Facebook. What's so interesting, and it's a known phenomenon with software and products in general, is that a product starts out simple, becomes very successful because of its simplicity. Um, over time, it matures and evolves and, peop- and they jam in all sorts of features. Before you know it, it's a very complicated product and very diverse product. And what it does then is then it opens up an avenue for someone to start a new simple product that was the original thing. Possibly, right? yeah. But it depends whether people want to do the simplified version anymore. So Facebook, if they're smart, they might drop the the text side of things and go full video if that's what people want and they're going to use. And if someone brings a text version in, then maybe society won't want that anymore. Well, or they just buy it. Yes. If it's successful. Yeah. Which is what, what they did with that anonymous social media platform. Um, after nine months, it had um, Facebook bought it for $100 million. Is so that Yik Yak? No, no. No. Yik Yak actually folded a few months ago, but it was the problem with social anonymous social media platforms was harassment and bullying. And this platform had solved that by, as far as I understand, was it was an anonymous social media platform with the view to you only share positive anonymous things. Right. right. And somehow they got a lot of traction in schools and university. Mm. And Facebook bought it after nine months for about $100 million. What's interesting, the, the, the company that created this have been creating products for a few years. And um, they were about three months out of running out of money. They were wow. at the end of the road. And this guy, the CEO, just it was the last little bit thinking of creating an anonymous, positive-style social media network. And they cracked it. Cracked it. No, zero revenue. After nine months, but, I, but lots of users and Facebook just bought them outright for $100 million. 
Wow. So that's their strategy. You know, when you've got so much cash, you can just – Microsoft does that as well. You know, Microsoft mm. bought LinkedIn. It bought Skype. It's, yeah, they just, they just buy these things. They've got cash is the least of their worries. Apple as well, though. Apple seems to be much more selective. Yeah, Apple sort of go after patents and technology, right? Like even before it's well known, if you know what I mean. Yeah. 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 Although they did buy Beats by Dre, which was a bit of a strange one. Um, that's true the headphone one but they've it's got one of those things if you don't if you you know like you just have to look at Snapchat as well you know if you don't let them buy you they'll just copy you yeah they will but you know I mean in, if you take the very early days of the internet Google Google could have you know been bought by Microsoft because Microsoft in theory could have crushed them but they didn't so there's no formula for all of this, which is what makes it so exciting. Apple, mm-hmm. by the way, is on track to potentially be the first trillion-dollar company. I think their market cap, which is the share price times by the number of outstanding shares, is nearly $900 billion, which is a huge factor more than the market cap of Bitcoin. So even though there's all this buzz about Bitcoin, the market cap of Bitcoin is tiny compared to the market cap of uh, Apple, which is really interesting, actually. Um, ultimately, I think that, that may change, but uh, it's on track, Apple, to be the first first trillion-dollar market cap company, which is interesting. So despite oh, everyone thinking that their heyday is over, they, they, they're still printing money. Nah, they're not over yet. <laughs> they got a long way to go. Well, they don't have much competition, right? Not massively, no. I've noticed as well um, their AirPods, though the new earphones that they have, they're really going off. Like you just have to walk around the city to find out that every second person's got one now. Yeah. And the watches seems to be also doing better and better. Yep. And they're what, yeah. third generation? Third or fourth, yeah. Yeah. It's mm. the one thing that I have sort of envy of that is the Apple Watch. I wish I could um, use the Apple Watch, but they, they lock that down to Apple because that All you got to do is get an Apple phone. No, why would I do that, Kate? I've got Android. It's just an Apple. You've got to keep deleting photos and running out of battery. And, you get uh, a, lot of, a lot of space now, <laughs> way more than you used to. It's unlo- I mean, on Google, it's essentially unlimited. You know? True. So, and you've got S, big SDs if you want them to, for your music. And, you know, it's, 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 it's Android serious stuff. You know, it's not, it's not for, you know, just Photoshop, Photoshop jockeys and stuff, you know. Mm, nah. It's for us cryptocurrency guys. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, who knows? I never say never. Anyway, um, you're listening to episode 110 of the It's a Monkey podcast. My name is Kevin Garber. You can follow me on Twitter at KE underscore GA. You can follow Kate Frappel, who's the design leader at Manage Flutter. She is just at Kate Frappel. And we're going to take a short break. And after the break, we're going to play the interview that I had with Nathan Hirsch, who's the founder and CEO of FreeUp. He's also known as the remote hiring guy. We had a great chat about remote work, distributed teams, the future of, uh, you know, the way companies structure themselves and and work together. So uh, stick around and we'll be back shortly. Hi, my name is Joe Pinto. I'm the business operations manager here at Manage Flitter. Did you know that Twitter can be a powerful social selling platform? But the first step to effective social selling on Twitter is to grow your Twitter account with high-quality niche followers. For example, let's say you are an online bicycle retailer. Manage Flitter could help you grow your Twitter account by helping you find and follow people who have the word cyclist in their bio. The more targeted your search is, the higher likelihood these Twitter accounts will follow you back. We have millions of users, literally, that have used Manage Flitter's search, sort and filtering tools to grow their account with the right followers. This has provided them with a solid base to kickstart their social selling. Feel free to drop by manageflitter.com to trial our product or email us at contact at manageflitter.com to schedule an obligation-free walkthrough. You're back with It's a Monkey Podcast. My name is Kevin Garber. I am the co-host of It's a Monkey Podcast together with Kate Frappel as well as uh, the CEO. I'm also the CEO of Manage Flitter and Manage Social for my sins. One of the themes that we chat about on the podcast, obviously 
recently we've been talking a lot about crypto and all of that exciting stuff but we also talk about the changing nature of teams and workplaces and as you may have heard if you're a listener a regular listener to our podcast that over the last 18 months or so we've moved at managed flitter to a much more distributed remote team where as much as 50% of our team is based uh, all over the world right from eastern europe right through to brazil and it's something that we've talked about on the podcast is is this remote work thing a thing or not? Is it a fad? Obviously, in our industry, it's uh, it's very much spoken about because there's such a shortage of staff as well. So I thought I'd drag into the podcast someone who's uh, knee-deep in the remote work distributed team hiring side of things. And from Orlando, Florida, um, I have the founder and CEO of FreeUp, Nathan Hirsch. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Kevin, thanks so much for having me. And it is not a fad. It's not well. Well, tell us, tell us more about that. I mean, what's what's going on with remote work, distributed teams? Where are we at, and uh, why do you say it's not a fad? Well, I get to see the inside of it, um, both from the client side and the worker side of it. I own a marketplace for freelancers, which I really built based on my own hiring experience. I was hiring from Upwork and Freelancer.com and all these different places, and I just couldn't find that fast hiring platform. So I built it myself. And when I built this platform and I started having clients um, kind of experience outsourcing or experience hiring remote workers for the first time, very similar to how I did back in the day, it was very eye-opening. And all of a sudden, you can see the wheels start turning in their head of all these things they can now do now that they get access to fast manpower, no matter where it is, without having to compete with all the businesses around them for that same group of people that live in the same town or the same city and all the cities around them. And on the freelancer side, I can't tell you how many people, they start off doing it part-time, they love it, and then eventually they decide not to go into work anymore because they can run their own business freelancing, get a wide range of clients, set their own hours, set their own uh, billing, all that kind of stuff. And it's just been booming out of control. And I mean, the marketplace is growing fast. We're, we're getting freelancers all the time that are going from part-time to full-time and really taking advantage of something that you can only do now. I mean, even 10 years ago, there wasn't freelancing the way there is today. Why it interests me as well is cities are under a lot of pressure. You take, um, I'm in Sydney, Australia. It's a beautiful city um, and it's an expensive city. And one of the reasons is, is because at the moment, most of the jobs in Australia are in Sydney and Melbourne, which means that everyone wants to live, who, who wants to have a two-hour commute to work and have cheaper rent? No one. So everyone lands up fighting over the rent. Whereas there's beautiful towns in Australia, like um, I'm sure you haven't heard of them, but places like Wagga Wagga or Albury, where they are about five hours out of Sydney, where you can get a home for, and I'm not, I'm not even exaggerating here, Nathan, probably 10% of a Sydney home, Right. Probably a $2 million home in Sydney you can get for two or $300,000 in, in Wagga Wagga. That's significant a difference, but there's no jobs there. And you chat to anyone in those places and you, say, and you say, what's it like living here? And they say, as long as you've got a job, awesome. But to get a job is really, really difficult. So to, to democratize jobs and to increase the access, I'm really excited about it because the spirit of technology I always feel is to improve lives, not to concentrate wealth or do things like this and, and or to do things like that. So I'm really excited the way it can democratize and, and, and spread things out like that because in, in the big cities, um, if you're not right at the top, it's, it can be really difficult. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, not only do I have freelancers in the marketplace that live all over the world. I have some people that don't technically live anywhere. They're they're just nonstop traveling. They're digital nomads, so to speak. I, a buddy of mine just made plans for the next year to, to go live in a van, essentially, and work out of his van and just travel across the U.S. It's incredible. It really opens the door for whatever type of lifestyle you want, whether you want to live in the suburbs, whether you want to travel, whether you want to just move every year or every two years. The opportunities are there, and you don't need to be in one place as long as you know what you're doing, as long as you can communicate effectively and, and keep clients informed and up to date and complete things when you say you're going to and really keep your word, the possibilities are endless. I mean, it's been a real interesting journey for us over the last 18 months, which 
probably worth sharing. I mean, we had for a couple of years one remote worker in, in South Africa, but I guess it was a unique situation of someone that I, I knew and worked with. And it, it wasn't, we, we didn't go in full steam ahead. But about 18 months ago, what drove our decision was we were really struggling to find local hire. Sydney has Atlassian, Campaign Monitor, very cashed up banks. For a little startup like ours to compete with that on the tech front is so, so, so hard. There's Canva as well. So we've got a few great companies here and the supply of developers is, is really light. So we decided to give it a go. And um, what was really amazing is that for the first time ever, we could really focus on hiring right. We didn't have to compromise. Um, up until then, because of the short supply in Sydney, we were absolutely forced to compromise. The supply was so low that we, we couldn't get the tick all boxes. But, you know, we really changed our philosophy now to we'd rather have the right person anywhere in the world than the sort of right person in Sydney. And that has just really, really changed everything in our business. Our team is just humming along at an, at an amazing rate. The challenge has been, and of course everything in life has pros and cons, and the challenge, particularly in Sydney, Australia, surprisingly, is time zones. We've got some people in Eastern Europe and in Brazil, as I mentioned, and to get two time zones to cross over, super easy, right? To get three time zones to cross over, someone is going to be <laughs> either waking up early or staying up late, but with a little bit of flexibility, everything's possible. But that's just a little bit of the friction around that side of things. But I guess in the U.S., because it's such a big market, for U.S. companies, if they're only hiring remote in the U.S., it's not really a big deal, right? Yeah, so this is what's cool. And this is part of why I put this in free up. So when you're a client of free up and it's free, and anytime you need a worker, you put in a request, right? And inside the request, you can put... The, your time zone or the available hours that you want the worker to be. And if you need someone that can only that can be on every Saturday morning, we're only introducing you to someone that can be on every Saturday morning. So you don't even have to vet through the other people. You don't have to talk to them. You don't have to negotiate ahead of time. We're only introducing you to people that will work in the time zone you want. And, and some clients don't care. I mean, I have a graphic designer and a web developer. And as long as they can meet with me here and there, I don't care when they work, as long as they hit their deadlines. For other things like my assistant that monitors my emails every morning um, or covers my Skype 24-7, I do care about the schedule. And I only work with people that are happy to do it. The last thing I want to do is force someone to work in a time zone that they're not comfortable with. It only leads to issues down the line. So I, I agree with you 100%. I mean, we have clients all over the world. It's it's probably one of the top questions I get asked every day is, can you get me a worker that works in my time zone? And the answer is yes. And there are plenty of people out there that are used to it, that want to do it, that understand that they can run their freelance business better by working in XYZ time zones. And not only that, you know, we, especially in Australia, probably to a less degree in America, but in Australia, um, it's a very strong economy. I think we've had a record-breaking 30 years of unbroken economic growth. Jobs are plentiful here, which means the candidates a lot of the time are in the driver's seat. But in other countries, and I keep saying this to some local friends, where you know, in other jurisdictions, for example, Ukraine or Russia or Brazil, you've got these incredibly talented people, but the economies have been struggling. For them to wake up at four, five, six in the morning for a fantastic job where they're earning the equivalent of almost a million dollars a year sometimes if you exchange rated and everything, it's it's not a bad um, price to pay. So people are flexible as long as there's upside and benefits. So it's not literally nine to five. People time shift, I notice, especially developers all over the place, right? Developers um, sometimes prefer to work early, sometimes prefer to work late. So it's not, it's not unworkable, but it's definitely something that people should factor in, particularly if you're in Australia, because we don't tend to be in sync anyone it's we always feel like we're just in this soul time zone america's going to sleep when we're waking up and europe's waking up when we're winding down and um so tell me a little bit about how's how's business going what are the challenges what's the sweet spot that you found where it's uh, your product market fits uh, tell us a little bit more about uh, your platform yeah i mean business going really well we've been growing rapidly it's funny the the same hiring issues that i ran into 
four years ago are the same hiring issues that lots of entrepreneurs are facing right now. Either the people have never hired before and they need assistance and guidance, and we have a lot of great content on how to identify what you want and interview and manage and onboard and, and motivate and get the most out. Or we have people that have made bad hiring decisions in the past and, and they they need kind of their handheld as well, but they also just need access to talent faster. They don't want to go through that same process again. And then you got the people that are, are booming, they're running great businesses, they just don't have the time to interview. So we're able to solve all three problems in one in this marketplace where we get hundreds of applicants every week, we vet them, we take the top 1%, we make them available to clients first come first serve, lightning fast. I mean, where else can you submit a request for a graphic designer and have someone ready to go within a few hours? And then on the back end, adding that really great customer support that I learned from Firestone and learned from Amazon, very fast responses there to help and problem solve if anything does come up because we're dealing with real people and also protection against turnover. I'm sure you've had people just leave in the middle of a project, they disappear, whatever it is. Although that rarely happens on the marketplace, it could. And if it ever does, we cover all replacement costs and get you a new worker right away. So as an entrepreneur, you sleep better at night, you get access to talent quicker. Um, and it's really a solution that I wish I had five years ago when I was running my first e-commerce business. And I mean, I was a 20-year-old college kid trying to interview much older people, trying to convince them to work for my company, whereas now hiring remote, I get access to all this talent around the world, people with great attitudes that are really passionate about what they're doing that can help my business and really have a mutually beneficial partnership. And that's what it's all about. I've got, I've got a few questions. I, sure. I love the idea that you vet. Well, obviously, one of the challenges is, and it's, it's, such, a, it's such a laborious process to interview Put them, put candidates through tech tasks or you know whiteboarding exercises. Explain to me what your vetting process is. Is it a general vetting process? Is it a detailed vetting process? Um, how many people do you? What percentage do you actually turn away? Sure. So we actually turn away ninety nine percent of applicants. We're, we only let the top one percent in. Wow. And wow. the way we vet them is it's on skill, it's on attitude, and it's on communication. And we have one or multiple rounds of Skype interviews. So we're talking to them not in person, but face to face um, or through chat. And then uh, we also have a best practices guide on communication because we know how important that is. And then we have a test on the best practices of the marketplace and on the terms of use of the marketplace to make sure our clients are taken care of and have a good experience. Now, when we're talking about skill, there's a time and a place for a five out of 10 worker. And there's a time and a place for a 10 out of 10 worker, no matter what the skill set is. What's important to us is that they're honest about what they can and cannot do. And this is a part of the interview process that's unique. If we're interviewing someone for Facebook ads or we're interviewing someone for a graphic designer, we're obviously going to look at different things, ask different questions. We still go after their references and their background and what company, but it's a, that part of the interview process is different. The part that's the same is the attitude and the communication. The, the best way that I can describe attitude is, I don't know about you, but I hate doing QuickBooks. <laughs> it's really frustrating for me. It's not something I enjoy doing. But if I hire someone to do my QuickBooks, they have to love doing QuickBooks as much as I love being an entrepreneur. Those are the type of people we're looking for. People who are not just in it for the paycheck. They're passionate about whatever it is they do, whether it's graphic design or writing or Amazon, whatever it is. And then last is communication. And this is the most important part. Communicating is everything. If I don't care how skilled you are, what kind of attitude you have. If you can't communicate at the highest possible level with me, it's not going to work out. It's not going to be a great experience. And yes, they speak English at a high level, but it goes well beyond that. I mean, it's giving estimates and deadlines and actually hitting them. It's if your kid's sick, you actually update the client. You don't just not show up. It's about giving updates on a project as it goes about and being available for meetings. There's We have 15 pages of this, best practices of communication. That's how important it is. So our vetting process is really going through all of that and looking for red flags of what, what could this person say 
that means they don't have the skill they're claiming to have? What does this person say that might be an attitude red flag or, or what kind of communication concerns do we have on these people? And that's really our vetting process. And, and it can take up to two weeks and we do that all for the clients. So the clients can just do a 10 to 15 minute interview, make sure it's the right fit because even the best VAs in the world aren't the best fit for every single client in the world um, and quickly get access to that talent and start using it. I absolutely love what you say about communication. I actually had this chat with our tech lead, Ricky, yesterday. We were talking about some uh, planning the team going forward. And I, and I was actually saying, you know, developers, especially if, they, you know, if they've got the, the technical side sorted out, one way they can just double or quadruple or, or even more, 10 times their value is enhancing their communication skills and obviously English if you're working in English or what is is one part of that but as you mentioned that other part is knowing how to communicate to be clear to know when is a time to share something when is to to fill in the gaps and so if you are a younger person or even a not so younger person listening to this podcast communication and that's the wonderful thing about remote work is that you can't sort of hide between the cracks and you've got to hire, you've got to hire based on people that get shit done, um, which, which actually lands up forcing yourself to be quite an efficient company because people are very much judged on essentially the shit they deliver and the, the, the literal communication, which is quite different to an office space where there's corporate politics and there's perception and just a bum on a seat. And it's, it's, it's actually, it actually lands up being less efficient. So I actually, I actually quite love it. But um, another question that I had, which, which I think is a, a very relevant idea. I mean, I remember when I owned a digital agency a few years ago, I got, I got a desperate call from one of our clients saying, our designer who's in Thailand has just disappeared and won't return our calls and we've got a campaign tomorrow and we're just absolutely desperate. And I think business continuity is very important. So it's one thing, I mean, you guys offer a guarantee, which is fantastic. But how can people guarantee a business continuity that someone, you know, working on the WordPress site is a digital nomad and they land up at a full moon party in Thailand and they, they, they just sort of disappear and suddenly, suddenly they can't access them? How do you mitigate that type of risk? Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be risk, right? I mean, even if you hire your best friend to sit right next to you, there's always a chance something bad happens. With that said, I mean, we have their contact information, emergency contact information. We have copies of their license. It's very hard to get into the network. We take this stuff very seriously, and it's in their best interest. Once they're in and we're bringing clients to them, they don't want to do anything to get removed because just like clients don't want to do interviews all day, if you're a freelancer, the last thing you want to do is spend all your time looking for clients. You want to look, you want to do work. You want to bill hours. So it's, it doesn't happen very often. In cases that it does, the client doesn't have to worry about it. All workers on the marketplace are required to respond within one business day unless they gave some kind of future notice. And if they don't, if it gets to hour 25, you can contact me or my team and we'll, we'll contact them for you. You don't have to do that chasing. So in the worst case scenario that the person just disappears off the face of the earth and we have no idea what happened and their emergency contact doesn't work and we can't get a hold of them, I mean, we're just going to get someone else that's just as good. We're going to give you some credit and make sure that you're taken care of financially and that you're made whole again. And we're going to move forward and make sure that everything's right and focus on the next experience. And then we're going to do that very quickly. So although we can't guarantee that no one is ever going to disappear, we can make sure that the clients are taken care of. I love it. I love it. I love um, I love these aspects that you've, you've thought about. And Nathan, what happens if someone wants to hire a full-timer, but a remote full-timer? I mean, do you guys have some sort of I don't know, finder's fee option or because every now and then we're looking at a, a full-time hire that whilst we're happy to support you, we sort of want to take them off platform in a way and then wear the risk, but we need that um, distribution pipeline to draw from. Sure. So, I mean, hours are between you and the worker. We have plenty of people that are hiring, hiring workers for 20 plus hours a week, 30 plus hours a week on the marketplace. Um, and that's between you and them. But if you do want to buy them off, I mean, there's a buyout. I believe it's 2500 for non-U.S. and 5000 for a U.S. citizen. Um, but there's risk involved in that, too. I mean, I mentioned our guarantee. What if, what if you buy them out and they quit the next day? I mean, you're kind of sure. out of luck. Um, the other side of it is the VAs like being on the marketplace. Um, 
although you're not really buying them out of the marketplace, you're just buying um, the right to pay them outside of the marketplace, they, they like the security. I mean, we pay them just like the workers, just like the clients have that guarantee, the workers have that guarantee too. If a client's credit card gets declined, the workers know that they're gonna get paid. So uh, if the worker agrees to it and you wanna buy them out, great, it's in our agreement with you. Um, and you great. just have to be, you just have to understand what the risks are. And um, what geographic spread are your freelancers and what geographic spread are your clients just as a matter of interest? Sure. So workers are about 40% US, 40% Philippines and 20% scattered around the world. Mm-hmm. Not 100% by design. For whatever reason, Filipinos tend to do a little bit better in our interview process. Clients, we're probably about 60% US and 40% just scattered everywhere. I mean, we have plenty of Australian clients. I always kid because my Calendly is open on uh, Monday and Tuesday nights. And that's for my Australian clients because um, that works out well with the time zone. But um, I mean, we have clients all over the world, UK, Canada, Mexico, um, you name it. Fantastic. So what do you think is the future, Nathan, of the uh remote work, do you see any trends, for example, like large companies? Have there been any surprises, you know, like some major brand deciding to outsource to the Philippines or, you know, are there any indicators that the, uh, what's the fraying, the, the, the shark has jumped the ship or something like that? Yeah, so I think companies are getting away from what they've been doing. They've been going to the Philippines or going to India and setting up call centers and even though it's not that expensive, it still is a lot of overhead that you don't have to deal with when you're dealing with the remote. So I've been seeing companies take it a step further and letting slowly letting people work for remotely and testing it out, having a good experience, and continuing down that path. I mean, any kind of call center, if you put someone in a quiet, envi- quiet environment in their house, they can do that same job and it's cheaper and the worker's happier and a lot of times the client's happier too. So I don't see any reason why it wouldn't go in that direction. Okay, so as a final note, give us some tips. Give us a couple of tips to be an effective uh, freelance or digital nomad because it's something that especially young people these days, boy, they would love to do that. I mean, one of one of our um, team members, Kate, she is effectively a digital nomad now and, and she's just loving it. And, you know, we would have lost her as a team member, I would imagine, because traveling is such a is such a, a core part of it. So, you know, I would imagine there's people listening to this that go, man, I would, even if it's just for a year or two, I would just love to to uh, sell my s- sort of services across the world. And on the flip side, a couple of tips for people hiring remotely. What have you seen some some mistakes and how they can get that fit right and get the value out of uh, out of the process? Sure. So if you're a freelancer, you need to treat your clients like gold. I mean, you can, yes, you can kind of disagree at at certain points, but I mean, you're running a business. You have to have great customer service. That means fast response time. That means a good attitude. That means clear communication. And it's all about the discovery phase, the upfront, the laying out the expectations. Hey, this is when I work. This is when I don't work. This is when I have other clients. This is what I have going on. Hey, I can't work for the next week. Give them, giving them plenty of notice. So it's all about that communication, building that relationship. It's all about relationships. On the client side, it's all about diversifying. I mean, you know this from having a, a remote team. You don't want to just hire one person and load them up with everything. It's a really bad business decision. Find certain people that are good at different things. Build long-term relationships, even if it's on and off, and, and really make sure you're protected if someone does leave or disappear. Okay, one more one more question, which has just popped into my head while looking at your website. A lot of people are... You know, I think most people in the world and in business always want to do the right thing. The question of exploitation, sweatshops, fair wage, how do you avoid it? I mean, you know, when I'm looking at your site here and I said for a non-U.S. social media management, it's between $6 to $9 an hour U.S. Now, as an Australian company, that's like, wow, that's, that's you know, fantastic. But at the same time, I want to make sure that that person, six bucks an hour to them is the equivalent of $25 an hour in, Aust- in Australia. I, d- I don't want someone, you know, struggling and just being uh, de facto exploited as well. So how do, I mean, is it just a case of the market clears itself and, and, and people don't have to worry about that? Yeah, so it is market, and and we're not setting the rates. The workers are setting the rates themselves, and a lot of times because they are on a premier marketplace like FreeUp, they are able to charge a little bit more, and the clients are happy to pay it because they know they're getting top-notch people. And, I mean, we're all about client happiness. I'm sorry. We're all about freelancer happiness as well as client happiness with the – 
we know that the entire core of the marketplace is the freelancers. If they're not happy, we're nothing. So we check in. We make sure people are happy. We encourage workers to not accept work that they're not happy with the rate, especially if it's going to be an ongoing project. So we're we're very conscious of that. We're constantly checking in with people. We The freelancers, I can tell you objectively, and, and we didn't know this going in. As we were building the marketplace, we didn't know if people were going to hate us or, or prefer other pro- platforms like Upwork. Genuinely, people love being there. They love that they can set their own rate. They love that we're bringing clients to get to them. They're able to grow their freelance business. That's really what they're able to do. Some of the freelancers are even clients themselves. So it it really has created this incredible environment. And it's awesome when I get to travel and meet up with all these freelancers that we've been able to really partner with with and have a great business relationship. You know what I would love, Nathan, and it's sort of tied in with your business and, and taking them off platform is is a, a pre-qualified developers pipeline around the world. We, you know, I would I would pay pretty solid just if I could get these pre-qualified high-level developers that um, to, for full timers, you know. But maybe that's a pathway through your platform as well, uh, because it's a it's very difficult to 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 deal with multiple jurisdictions and multiple um, recruiters, and it's it's very messy. But if there was one platform where I could have almost like a, a remote work recruitment company, you know, which is slightly different to the freelance platform, although, the, although there's a link. There's a, 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 a recruitment company that deals across jurisdictions. I would, I would love that. And I think there's if, – if and especially if they did genuine pre-qualification. pre-qualification. So we have that. So any you, so we have all these workers in the marketplace. We have over mm-hmm. 700 plus and growing. We also have a free recruitment program. So if there's anything specific that you want that we don't have, maybe specific to your business or like you said, maybe you want a full-time person, we'll recruit for you free of charge. We'll present the applicants to you. If you want to hire them, great. If not, we'll add them to the marketplace and offer them to other clients, no problem. And you have the buyout too. So if you want us to recruit for you free of charge and bring you applicants and if you like them, you want to buy them out right away, Go for it. I mean, we do that with plenty of clients. So another question on the entrepreneur side of things is uh, this is a two markets, two-sided marketplace, which are, which are pretty tricky to get going and to get traction on. I mean, once they get going, I mean, this is similar to Airbnb and um, Uber and things like that. What are some tips if someone out there is thinking of building a business that's a two-sided marketplace to actually growing the platform? It's all about treating people well, building relationships. I mean, I I don't say that I'm going to do something unless I'm going to do it, unless I'm going to hold my word. And a lot of times where businesses falter, whether you're a marketplace or not, it's because people don't trust the owner. Who wants to be on Airbnb if they don't think they're going to get paid? Same thing with FreeUp, same thing with Uber. It's all about building that trust and reliability. And sometimes you do take a loss just to make sure everyone's happy and you keep moving forward. I can sense that you love what you do. And that's why I love talking with entrepreneurs. I do. And this is great. And obviously, if you have any hiring needs, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. And I really appreciate you having me on the show. No, it's a pleasure. And uh, we, we, as always, will put details about uh, Nathan's platform free up on the website, on, on our show notes. It's a monkey.com. You can go to freeup.com. You can even drop Nathan a line. I'm sure he'd be happy to hear from you. Tell him you heard about it on the podcast. If you haven't tried remote work, especially for things like virtual assistant, uh, social media management, a bit of development, a bit of design, and especially if you new jurisdictions like New York or Sydney or San Francisco where things are not only expensive, they're so difficult to find, let alone even before you consider the pricing. Um, have a look at freeup.com. I'm definitely going to um, have a look at that. But we'll, Nathan, what's the best way to, for them to contact you? Uh, email, Twitter, What's- yeah, so if you go to freeup.com with three E's, my calendar is right at the top. You can book a time with me. I'd love to talk to you about your business and how I can help. Um, if you mention this podcast, you get a dollar off your first worker forever. Um, and you can sign up right at the top too. It's free. You can find us on social media. You can check out my book, Free Up Your Business. We have lots of free ebooks out there um, to really help you use remote freelancers in your business today. I love that idea of setting up a meeting with the CEO on the site. I love that. I'm going to put that on our side where I'm going to, I'm going to put just a couple of slots a week where anyone – now, now I, I, I'm not looking for people to pitch me. You know, I don't want to be oversold all sorts of bits and pieces, but more prospects and clients or people in the industry or students or someone that can get value from my time. 
I'd love to just put that on the on the site and someone can schedule it in, tell me why they want to chat with me. And uh, I love that. You've given me a good idea. So, uh, um, Nathan, I wish you all the best with it. It sounds amazing and uh, we'll definitely – I'm going to spread the word amongst my network – freeup.com with three E's, freeup.com, but we'll put it on the show notes um, so it's easy to find. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Thanks, Kevin. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by CheckDog. Use CheckDog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images, all with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to checkdog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. Checkdog.com, helping the world's leading websites keep their content error free. You know, Kate, when, when we're hiring for a new technical role and I interview guys and it is mainly guys unfortunately um, there's still a global diversity issue in the software engineering world um, it's it's sort of cool that I chat to these guys from well you name it Colombia Holland India Ukraine England all parts of the US and it's it's wonderful we live in a time and work in an industry where where people from around the world can just collaborate on the same project. I mean, I know it's, we take it so much for granted, but it wasn't that long ago where being in a physical room, having access to even a physical server in your room, you know, there was none of this cloud and all of that, it was, was tricky. I mean, I remember the days even went to remote. I mean, when I was at uni in my undergrad, and like, because I was a bit of a hustler at uni and I sort of nagged the IT department there to, to give me dial-in access, you know, so they gave me special dial-in access. They didn't give it to most undergrad students. I had to apply for this dial-in access and I could actually dial in with the modem into the uni and access all my uni stuff from home. And it was like, it was cool, right? Because it wasn't, wasn't a done thing. And I would show my friends and like, oh, I can access my uni stuff from home. And it was quite impressive. Now, I know I sound like an absolute dinosaur, <laughs> right? But it wasn't that long ago. And so my point is at that time, you couldn't, working remotely wasn't really an option, mm. right? And, and it, you, you, the constraints were far bigger. And now the constraints just, that the shackles are off, right? You can choose to work face-to-face if you want. and But if you want to go remote or distributed in our industry, and probably in many, many industries, I think even medicine and, you know, there's all crazy things where they control robots that do operations remotely and all sorts of... The, the space geography is collapsing and continues to collapse, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, and it opens up lots of opportunities as well from like a work individual working sort of side that where you know your geographical location might not have certain jobs or certain industries that you're interested in you can still live there and uh and just work for a company remotely yeah i think um cities are great and convenient but they also um, there's other other challenges with them in terms of costs and uh, stress levels and you know, so this may even out, even out the playing fields if we can spread the jobs away from the cities mm. a little bit. You know, can can be a good thing. I mean, I, and definitely face to face is still the preferred way. There's, you know, what eighty percent of communication is nonverbal or something like that, and you definitely feel that if you if you Skype chat with someone or you text chat, you definitely feel you feel like it's it's become um, you, you've lost. You've lost a bit of context. You've lost a bit of the sense of even how that, that day that person's happening, you know, if they're having a good day or bad day. If you work in an office together, sometimes you, someone comes in and you can, get, say, you can see that they're in a good mood or you can see that they are a bit – and you can work with that. Remotes, not that easy to pick up, you, you know. Mm. Yeah, there's fours and against, I think. In that sense, yeah, you sort of miss some of those subtle communication things. But on the other hand – 
without having as many distractions and as many people, like you actually get more done and you can be a lot more focused. And I think the biggest challenge is just being sort of motivated and disciplined. Yeah, there was a cartoon the other day. Maybe even you tweeted it about something about remote work. Where the f- when you first start remote work, it's like, <laughs> awesome, I can work at home, you know. Yeah. And second, <laughs> yeah, second stage was, what was it? Um, oh, it would, be, it would be nice to have some human connections. Oh, yeah, it would be nice so. if I would actually have someone to talk to today. And the third one <laughs> is like, I'm really excited, what, for the, for the guy to deliver the post so I can say hi to someone or something like yeah, that? Yeah, I think it was... Uh, uh, I hope that raccoon comes past my window again <laughs> today. <laughs> yeah, so you you definitely have, but you know, I think today with co work spaces and cafes, and you know, you mix it up. I mean, I think it's such a long haul, particularly in startups. We got to be focused and productive. That we've breaking it up is certainly. I find breaking it up actually helps me a lot, changing my context. Yeah, I like. I found as well, like working remotely in in Whistler is. Um, yeah, and a lot of the time you can be sort of under house arrest depending on the weather and stuff. But the days that I can get out or split even just for an hour or two to a cafe or something, it actually breaks it and it makes you feel a lot better and sort of more... Part of the world. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. it can be a bit weird if you're just if you at home and you come to the end of the day and you're like, I haven't spoken to a human being today. Yeah. Um, or oh, I haven't left these four walls yeah. today. Yeah, it's a little bit intense sometimes. Yeah. It's good to break it up. Got a friend who lives in New York and she said, uh, you know, the New York winters are incredibly intense. And she said one day on her Fitbit or uh, whatever her fitness tracker was, um, only tracked like 20 steps or something. You know, she was just going from couch to fridge to couch to fridge, you know, couldn't really get out. So, yeah, but I like the idea of a pre-qualified platform as well. It's incredibly hard to hire and these freelance platforms can just be a little bit chaotic sometimes and quality can be very, very sporadic. And if they're pre-qualified, it's, you know, at, least, at least it helps a little bit. Yeah, I did like what he said about the interview and the vetting process to see about, and more than just skill, like attitude and communication as well, which I feel like some of the other, I guess, competitors for FreeUp don't really do that. No, They'll and do so maybe like a basic English test and a typing test and that'll be it. And it's such a challenge I have with interviewing developers where some of them just just focus on their technical skills the whole time. And they just – and sometimes even when I say, well, we, you know, thanks, but we're not going to proceed with your application. And they, they get very confused. But my skills match exactly. And it's, well, you know, they forget that we're working with people in a context. And your skills is the first – it's the first component, but beyond that, we need to communicate. We need to work together. We need to have a little bit of rapport. We need to like each other. That's true. Know? And yes, they, these platforms can be focused on buzzwords and skills and, and things like that. So, mm. so yeah, I hope he, he's certainly passionate about what he does, which is, which is always great. And I think, I think the remote work is, is really going to continue to become a bigger and bigger part of the world that we live in and I think companies that don't embrace it I've got friends that work at big corporates that they have to have their bum on the seat right certain times and they cannot work from anywhere else forget it in a couple of years people aren't going to be interested in that and it doesn't make a difference all the research shows productivity is not tied with being a bum on a seat you know no. it's just not it's no. I think a lot of it comes down to whether that person is capable and knows what they're doing but also enjoys what they're doing and they're interested enough to make themselves do it. Yeah, so the, the, the hire's got to be right, the fit's got to be right yeah. and, then it, and then it all happens. You know, you can't... Um, the days of just succeeding by, by showing a face. I mean, I had a friend who, who worked at a big corporate here in Sydney and sometimes he would literally go in, put his jacket on the chair, right, and hang out and have coffees half the day and... So that people would think he was there working. You know, it's just mm. ridiculous stuff like that. Yeah. And he didn't enjoy what he did and he sort of, you know, hustled it a bit. But what's the point of that? You yeah, know? you can only sustain that for so long before either you get caught out or you just get bored. And he did. I mean, he was getting paid big money. And the company was big enough that he, you know, sort of could, could hide through the cracks. But, yeah, I mean, who, who wants to – I know it sounds glamorous – 
But we all want purpose and meaning yeah. through work and to be able to do our best work. So he did. He did get bored. He just did get really bored. So, uh, I mean, he did do some work, obviously. <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> but um, to have to sort of hack the, hack the culture like that is just a little bit ridiculous. Anyway, that is episode 110, done and dusted. Thank you so much. We're going to be back with episode 111, lucky 111, coming up soon. We'll try to keep them going. We may skip a week or two over the new year. Thank you so much for listening. A special thank you to new listeners. If you're a new listener, thank you so much. And please uh, share it on Twitter, Facebook, tell a friend, give us a review. We love doing these podcasts. And, uh, and also a special thank you if you're a managed Flutter user. Big thank you to you as well. Um, we exist because of you guys and we, we're doing great things behind the scenes and in front of the scenes. And we're working very hard to, to keep uh, the wheels going and providing you guys with a great product. So that's uh, a goodbye from myself and from my co-host Kate Frappel. See you guys later. <laughs>